Welcome to the DVM Divas podcast. We hope everybody is having a fantastic start to their 2021. I mean, gosh, we don't really have any options, do we? It can't can't really be too much worse than when 2020 ended. So we're going we're gonna to look to a great start to 2021. We have a great show for you tonight. We have a very special guest to kick off the new year. We have Josh Weisman from Flourish Veterinary Consultant, who is going to inspire us how to be positive leaders and what we can do to bring a lot more empowerment and positivity into the profession, because goodness knows we need it right now. And always... Wins, fails, and hacks. That's not going anywhere. So Maria's going to share with us a cooking hack. Josh has so graciously decided to share a fail with us. Thank you, Josh. And I will have a win, maybe two. They're very short. We'll see how the night goes on. But anyway, welcome to DBM Divas and join us as we go beyond the stethoscope. Welcome to the DVM Divas podcast. It's no secret that the veterinary profession is made up of thousands of amazing women. In fact, we're more than 60% of the current workforce, but it's also apparent that we've been struggling to stay happy and fulfilled. Well, join us, the DVM Divas, as we take this profession back from discontent. Listen as we explore the concepts that motivate us. Community. Making positive changes growth, compassion, and courage. Laugh with us, cry with us, celebrate with us as we define what it means to be a badass woman in veterinary medicine. Well, welcome, Josh. We are so excited to have you here. We love to have guests, and I will say, we haven't had too many men on the show. So you are in the elite, elite group there <laughs> to be I joining. I think we've only had one other guy and it was when we had the joint Zoom meeting. Yeah, yeah. And that was yeah. it. Yeah. So we've, we've joked around about having our husbands on, but we don't know if that's such a great idea. So. <laughs> And Anne, Anne is not with us at the moment. She is tied up. She, we're hoping that she'll be able to hop on here. Um, so you may hear Anne pop in at the last minute, but um, just know that Anne's, Anne's kind of busy being, being mom and everything else at the moment. So, but we'll just kind of get started. Um, so Josh, you and I chatted a little bit. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks or so back. And I will say the way it all kind of came to be was, I don't know for you, but for me, it was pretty random. I was scrolling through LinkedIn and I had been noticing a couple of your posts and a lot of the stuff that you were saying really was resonating with me. And that kind of started a little bit of just comments back and forth. And, and we decided that, Hey, we should, we should compare notes about some of the things that we'd like to see happen in the profession. And, and in that conversation, I thought, gosh, you know what? he's got a message that I think most of us could benefit from. And one thing that I know personally I'm trying to work on for myself is being a better leader, being a more positive leader, trying to fight the, the burnout and all of that. And I know that's something we all deal with. And so I want to really touch on that, but I, I do want to kind of make it a little bit maybe more specific to some of our current COVID challenges because, and I'm sure in your line of work and consulting with veterinarians and clinics and hospitals and veterinary teams, we're, we're stressed to a different kind of level at this point. It's something that we've never really dealt with before. So 
really just want to make it a pretty open conversation. Just kind of get your thoughts and see where, see where our talk goes. And hopefully we can kind of shed some, some positive light <laughs> to everybody tonight. I hope so. Thank you. And th thanks for having me on the show, by the way, guys. This is a blast. I'm super excited. I, uh, I, I do not have DVM after my name, so I'm, I'm not going to be able to claim the whole title, but, but I do hope <laughs> that by the end of the show, I at least get to be part of the divas. Oh, yes. That, that's for my sure. goal. That's you know, okay. awesome. play your cards right. We, you could be the owner of a very nice DVM Divas sticker. I mean, yes. it, it could happen. Yes. I'm just saying. All right. I'll be, I'll be on my best behavior. Okay. My hopes and dreams are now tied to that sticker. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. And, you know, Melissa, you actually, you bring up a really great point about, um, you know, positive leadership in a positive environment and the stress and all the challenges that we've been experiencing in our field over the past year. Uh, so a lot of the work that I do these days is, um, you know, even though my focus is on, is on positive leadership, it, it comes from a background in education and applied positive psychology. And, and one of the realms within psychology that, that we do a lot of work on or positive psychology that kind of falls under that umbrella is this idea of psychological resilience. What does it mean to, you know, to be able to have a productive response to the inevitable normal challenges, adversities, and potentially even traumas in life? What does that look like? And, and so I've, I've had the opportunity in this past year to really talk to a lot of veterinary professionals all around the country and Canada, even in Europe, literally thousands of veterinary professionals about resiliency, about that kind of what I like to think of as that, that hidden superpower that exists in all of us already. And, and it, it's been a lot of fun for me. It's been very inspiring. It's also been, you know, kind of it touched my heart in many ways because yeah, people are struggling, like really, truly struggling all across the profession. I, I start off a lot of these presentations that I do, I, I do a check-in and I ask people using a, a confidential uh, polling tool. So, you know, obviously a lot of the things that I'm doing now are virtual. And so, uh, so I can use these polling devices online and, and I'll ask people to check in, hey, you know, just think about the last 30 days. How, how do you feel kind of overall? Do you feel like you've been consistently thriving? Do you feel like you've been doing pretty well despite the struggles that you've been, you know, facing? Do you feel like you're, you know, not really doing bad, but just kind of getting by? Or, or have you found yourself consistently struggling? And I'm sure you're already thinking for yourself where you might fit in the past 30 days in your answer. And you don't have to, you don't have to share that with me right now, but, but I asked people to, to respond to that. And then, so on the screen, you get this chart and invariably you may even be surprised to hear there's always a number of people granted a small number, but there's always a number of people who respond that they've been consistently thriving. Even despite all of the craziness that's been going on, they've been, they, they believe that, you know what, I'm actually doing really, really well. And then the there's look, a number the look on Maria's face when you said yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> but because it brings up, a, well, it makes me, it reminds me of the imposter syndrome episode uh, where when we were talking about it, I was like, everyone has imposter syndrome. And Anne's like, that is not true. Some people <laughs> do not have it. Yeah. So it, yeah. it doesn't surprise me that there are people that are like, everything's always fabulous. It's great. <laughs> Life is wonderful. Even in curbside. <laughs> even it, yeah. Even in curbside insanity and half of my team is out with COVID and the phones are ringing off the hook and every single cranky client on the planet is showing up for some reason. Screaming yeah. at you for no reason. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, to be fair, that the number is small, but there's every single one of these presentations and I've done, 
I don't know, somewhere around 85 or 90 virtual presentations since March. Uh, there's always a number of people who say I've been consistently thriving, but it is, it is a small number and it's usually one of the two smallest uh, represented groups. The other one that we do see representation from, but again, typically a, a relatively small number is the people who say they're consistently struggling. The bulk of people are in those middle two, report themselves being in those middle two categories. Either, you know, I'm, I'm doing well despite struggle or I'm not doing bad, I'm just kind of getting by. And, and I find that very fascinating because it's consistent. And when it's consistent, it means that it's a, it's a sort of, you know, I strain to use the word, but it's kind of a universal experience. So what I've started telling everybody is whatever you're experiencing right now in this insanity that we've been through in these past, you know, 10, 12 months, you're not alone. There are so many other people that are feeling exactly the same way that you are. And whatever you're experiencing right now is in some way a form of resiliency. It's either that your resilience has been so challenged that you are finding yourself struggling and gosh, you know what? You deserve to not be struggling and there are resources out there for you and I encourage you. I might even stretch to say I give you permission to seek those resources because you're worthy of it and you deserve it. But the bulk of people are in one of those two middle categories. And what we found from the research is that those are really the very definition of resilience. You know, to be doing well despite struggle, that is resilience. That is a recognition that, you know what, things right now are kind of shitty and I'm still doing okay. That's resilience at work. That's resilience unleashed. And then that category of the, you know, the folks that are saying, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing bad. I'm just kind of getting by. That's coping. That's what perseverance and grit looks like. That's what's, you know, mustering up some strength to get through the crap that you've got to face. That's what it is. Now, we don't want to be in that state forever because we run the risk of, you know, using up all our resources and we want to do things to uplift those resources. And that's where I think the positive leadership comes in. I think as leaders, especially in a time like this, there are absolutely things that we can do that can support our team in genuine and positive ways that can elevate their resiliency so that the challenges in the world that we have no control over, we can respond to them productively and still, still make it through and maybe even thrive despite them. So I want to talk about that a little bit more, some of those things that we can do. I, I, <laughs> I, I hesitated because I started to put in a little bit of a sarcastic remark about, oh, you're well, talking like sarcasm. About, yeah. <laughs> so that's yoga, right? We need to be doing yeah, more yoga. Yeah, yeah, we need yeah. to be. I hate that. I absolutely hate that. Everyone's like, you have to do self-care. Self-care uh -huh. is yoga. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. It's no. not. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and I, I joke, we kid around about it, but I mean, not to... Everybody needs yeah. to have something that they can do. But I want yes. to talk about specifically in the trenches, in yeah. the workplace, with the shitty day that we're having, all yeah. those cranky clients, all that kind of stuff. What yeah. would be a few little nuggets of positive leadership? And maybe not from just who we might think of as the stereotypical leader of the group, you know, yeah. the practice manager, the head doctor, the owner, you know, what about all mm -hmm. the other team members? Like, you know, where can they play a role? Maybe somebody who doesn't necessarily think of themselves as a leader, you know, they're, I feel like they're maybe missing a little bit of untapped potential there. You know, how can we kind of look at it yeah. from a day-to-day -day standpoint? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I really like that. Um, it's, it's the yoga thing. I have to talk about the yoga thing because it cracks me up too. I love it. You know, listen, I, 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 I have this master's in, in positive psychology, but in positive psychology, there's extensive research on the value of things like yoga practices, especially when it includes some sort of mindfulness activity or um, self-compassion mindfulness or loving kindness, mindfulness practices, um, you know, meditation, all these kinds of things Like we know very, very conclusively that these things do benefit our sense of well-being, that when we practice these kinds of things in, in very particular ways routinely, it absolutely benefits us. It absolutely helps. And if I go and pl- I live in Colorado, if I go and plant a tomato seed out in my garden right now in the middle of January, and then go two weeks later and look for that tomato plant to be growing, and it's not growing, and then I blame the tomato plant, that's not a problem with the seed. That's a problem with me as the gardener. I haven't created the environment where that seed can thrive. If you are taking care of yourself and consistently working in a toxic environment, there's no amount of yoga that's going to overcome the toxicity of your workplace. So you, there's, there's got to be this leadership component. There has to be this cultural component. And to answer your question, Melissa, there are absolutely things that we can do. One thing that I think is really important as leaders is, you know, I want to be really clear about what I mean by positive leadership. Positive leadership is absolutely not a form of toxic positivity. Uh, the last thing I want to hear is I, I, I knew a practice manager a while ago. She actually had a policy in her hospital. It was, um, it was a good vibes only policy. You come to work in a good mood. If you're in a bad mood, I'm going to send you home. I only want to see your good attitude at work. What human being is in a good mood 100% of the time? Wait, can I interrupt you for yeah. one second? I'm sorry. So at one of my jobs, because um, I'm, I'm very big on it, we have to make the staff happy because they create the positive environment and then it yeah. builds up from there, everything. But we had somebody there that always said that they hated the fact that we wanted people to be positive. Yeah. And we wanted everyone to be positive. Yeah. And when they would start to be negative, we're like, let's put a spin on that. What's the positive thing about it? Yeah. But it's crazy because she would be like, but you're creating a, po- a toxic positive culture by yeah. putting that spin on me having yeah. a negative attitude. Yeah. So when you have something like that, how do you go and flip it so that way you're not creating that pos- toxic positive culture, yeah. but you're still changing their attitude? Yeah. So, so the first thing that I would encourage, um, and, and I still want to answer Melissa's question. Sorry. To you. No, no, that's okay. No, that, but this no, is, we'll get to it. This is really good stuff. I teach a lot on optimism and, you know, all of these words can, can be loaded words. When, when we think of positive, we have a tendency to define positive as happy, right? As always in a good mood, as always something good to say. Uh, these kinds of things. And, and I think that that can be a form of positive, but if that's all we're including, we're leaving out a whole lot of the human experience that's normal and necessary. You know, we need to be able to experience what we might call negative emotions. I'm, I'm, I don't know if you do the video on the <laughs> podcast, so, so I'm putting it in air quotes, negative emotions. And, you know, when you think about that, right, if you call, a, if you call an emotion negative, now you've labeled it. We've, we've, call, we've said this is negative, i.e. it's bad. It's bad to be sad. It's bad to be upset. It's bad to be annoyed. It's bad to be frustrated. It's bad to be angry. Anger 
contributes to a sense of justice, right? Anger is something that drives positive change. If you eliminated anger from the human experience, what would drive us to change anything in our environment? It would never, you know, if you didn't get, right. tell me about a time in human history that a positive social change happened that didn't start with somebody being completely pissed off at the status quo, right? Anger right. is really, really valuable. We need to be able to experience anger. Sadness, sadness is actually a pro-social emotion. It, it can solicit empathy. It can so solicit care. People coming you know, closer together, relationships, it builds connection. It can also solicit what we call a tend and befriend response. When we get sad, sometimes we want to reach out and help others to alleviate our own sadness. That's a really good thing. So we shouldn't ever want to get rid of negative emotions. So my concern is that when we're trying to create an environment that only allows for the things that we call positive, we're limiting ourselves and that's when it starts to get into this toxic positivity because what it the message that it may send is if you're having a bad day if you're upset about something if you're annoyed if you're in a bad mood that's because something's wrong with you and you don't belong here that's a problem so i think that one approach to this which now goes back to the question that melissa was answering i'll tell you i'm actually doing a workshop with a couple different veterinary practices um, around this uh, the title of the workshop is this 2020 sucked a celebration. <laughs> I love it. Right? Because I love it's, it. yeah, because what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an environment that allows for all parts of the human experience. Listen, 2020 really did actually suck. There were parts of it that were, forget, forgive my language, but they were no. abhorrently shitty. Yeah, like it yeah. was just an awful, awful year in so many ways. And things went well. And we made it through and we learned and grew, right? So there's, you can have both. And I think that that's one of the big approaches. So a positive leader isn't going to say you need to be positive all the time. A positive leader is going to say, I can see you are feeling X. I can see you are experiencing Y. Tell me more about that. Maria, I can see that you're really frustrated today. You've had a couple of really you know, difficult clients. Tell me more about that. What's going on? How is that impacting you? How do you feel right now? What would you like the experience to be? How can we get there? That's what a, how a positive leader works. Recognizes, embrace, and honors the sort of ugly, awkward, crappy side of the experience and gently shifts us towards the quote unquote positive. So when I, I started this uh, response by saying I teach about optimism. Optimism as defined by uh, my approach to optimism and, and what the literature tells us from you know, the research in positive psychology. Optimism is not a unicorns and rainbows approach to life. Optimism is not a, you know, the world is nothing but ice cream and sprinkles. Optimism is this belief that A, right now kind of sucks and B, there are things here I can control and influence I'm going to put my energy into those so that later is a bit better than now. That's the kind of optimism we're trying to encourage. And that's the kind of optimism that a positive leader will build into their culture. Oh, I just love that. I just, I, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, and I think, you know, at work, yes, but I find that I've been trying to do this with my kids too. You know, it's like, yeah, I know things really kind of suck right now for whatever it is that you're dealing with, but let's just believe that we're going to get through it and we can get through it. And I, I, oh, I just love that. Yeah. I've been recently picking on like 
because you know when things go wrong everything goes wrong but trying to find <laughs> trying to find that one thing that really went well yeah. and when you think of something that's going wrong be like yeah i get it but guess what this was right and that's what i just keep putting myself in that situation and yeah. like i don't even know if that's at, like if that's right because you know we're all leaders in the hospital and you know even i'm leader outside the hospital so it's like especially now just trying to find a way to make sure i want everybody happy i want everybody to continue to do well because one i hate when people are not they're just not happy. I can't take it. I cannot stand it because they burn out so quickly and I've seen yeah. way too many people do it. But um, this is so interesting. Yeah, it's, you know, the shift in, in mindset is, it's a little bit subtle, but it's so critical. It, it's, you know, learning to kind of lean into that. Well, first of all, honestly, that people don't need to be happy all the time to, you know, to be fulfilled in your work, to be thriving in the work that we do in veterinary medicine does not require us to be happy hundred percent of the time. In fact, I would venture to say that it isn't when you graduated from vet school, how did that feel? It was terrifying. amazing. <laughs> oh, I thought it was amazing. What I was, was that, like, Melissa? I said terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. What else? Exciting. Overwhelming. Overwhelming, terrifying, exciting, amazing. This mix of, right, of these yeah. like kind of maybe good and bad things. And, but, but overall, the sense of accomplishment and achievement, did you, oh, I mean. Yeah, yeah there was that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. yeah. You felt good about what you had achieved. Would you say that having achieved that contributed to, had no change to, or depleted your sense of fulfillment, thriving accomplishment in life in general? It, like, I felt when, to me, when I graduated, I felt that I like accomplished something and I fulfilled what I wanted to do. It was after and actually stepping into practice and seeing the bills that I had to pay yeah. and the clients that I had to deal with. And I was in a very toxic environment. It took that achievement and that amazing feeling away. So like, I think for my first year of practice it was like i was that 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 like i thought i made the worst decision in my life yeah. but so like i thought it was great until i stepped into practice yeah i i needed to find the right one the right practice that was basically and i it. had i had a really good first practice experience i had great mentors it wasn't too overwhelming um you know, I don't feel like that, that bubble got <laughs> burst too quickly. Um, <laughs> it was later on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, it also helped my husband is a veterinarian also, and yeah. he had graduated a year ahead of me. So, you know, he had a little bit of wisdom that I could lean into and we could commiserate and, you know, we kind of had that support system for each other. So that definitely helped. And I, I'm so eternally grateful for that. Um, but, you know, and I think Maria, a little bit, maybe what you were describing is, you know, what I would say, I'm guessing what a majority of new young graduating veterinarians, you know, they have maybe that classical view of optimism, where it is sort of the rainbows and the unicorns. And yeah. I just finished vet school, and I'm awesome. And this is yeah. amazing. And I'm going to conquer the world. And, you know, yeah. not that we want to diminish that in any way. But then, like you said, Maria, then reality hit. And it was like, hmm. holy crap crap, this is not what they told me it was going to be. And so I, I kind of liked Josh's definition and version of optimism of, yeah, it, it can kind of suck, but that doesn't mean that all is lost. Like we, it, yeah. 
you know, we can, that resiliency that we were talking about. And, and I feel like that's one of the things that I would am really trying to do a lot with my mentorship goals and leadership goals is trying to prepare young veterinarians and students for, okay, look, it's, it's going to be shaky and that's okay. And, and that doesn't have to make you feel like, oh my God, I just made the worst decision of my life. Like how, you know, how can we get to both places in a healthy way? Yeah. The thing I will say is that once I, I realized it was where I was, you know, and went into a place where I actually could learn and I could, I was comfortable and stuff like that. It changed. So I think a lot of times, like when I talk to people who are just coming out of vet school or even in vet school, it's like, you have to find the right practice. I like, I couldn't change that practice regardless of me starting from the bottom up. It was way too big and it was way too toxic. So like removing myself from that situation was the only thing that I could do to make myself be like, Oh, I didn't really make a big, a bad decision. It was just, um, I needed to be in the right environment. That's awesome. So Maria, would you say that overall at this point you find the work that you do meaningful? Yes. And would you say that overall at this point, your path to getting there has always been good? It's been rocky every, every so often. It's always rocky. I mean, if it was good, like what fun would it be? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's not life. It's never perfect. Yeah. So it definitely, there always has been some bumps in the road. Yeah. And that's anything that's always going to happen. But I do feel, and I'll be honest with you, I was a tech when I, I started when I was like 17 or something and I like worked my way up and everything. It's a completely different field. I was, everybody knows. Um, and my, where I am now, if you asked me when I was like, I want to be a vet, I'm going to start and throw my heart and soul into this. I would have never stated that this is where I would be. My goal was either to become a surgeon or to become a practice owner that also had grooming and a pet store with it. Like that's what I wanted. So it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think these are all, these are all wonderful things to hear because it, it, it plays into what I'm trying to advocate for. And I mean, you, you've just, you've just shared it directly yourself that, <laughs> you know, that, that the path to, to some sort of a, you know, a meaningful outcome is often rocky. It's, very rarely linear. It, it's very rarely all good. There are bad moments. There are down moments. There are pivots and shifts that are we don't anticipate or expect. And we still get to this elevated point of, you know, where I'm at, I'm, this has been a meaningful journey, a meaningful experience, and I feel a bit better for it. And that's that's what I mean by, by thriving. That's what I mean by advocating for, you know, uh, enabling this kind of positive experience in the workplace is that, you know, as leaders, we don't, first of all, we need to stop thinking that we have to be the perfect leader because that's not human. And we're human beings just as human as the people we lead. Uh, and then we have to stop expecting everything for our people to be perfect. What, rather than focusing on, I think personally, rather than focusing on, you know, happy all the time, I think what we should be focusing on is how do we help myself, the people I lead, this team, this organization move towards its maximum potential. So what is the potential? How, how do I identify that? How do I understand it? What are the hopes and dreams that I have? What are the hopes and dreams that the team has? What are the hopes and dreams that the organization, the hospital has trying to achieve the goals, the vision, whatever it is? 
and then how to collectively together, how do we move towards that? Because so long as we're moving towards that, we can be resilient to the inevitable normal, uh, you know, and variable uh, challenges and adversities that we're going to face. They're going to happen. There's going to be a rocky road. So rather than trying to avoid the rocky road, let's lean into it a bit and see what we can learn from it and grow from it so we can be fulfilled by the work that we do. It's, it's a subtle kind of shift in mindset, but man, it's critical. It just opens up so many doors for what you can actually accomplish. I will say like all of the steps that I've taken that always I thought were setbacks. Now, and even being like a, even an associate doctor, you know, you can use all of this, but I feel like I can use all this to help everybody that I'm mentoring or that I'm trying to, I don't know, I'm using it to help other people grow, which yeah. I really like, like my experiences, I can tell them, okay, like, this is what I've experienced. This is how I got through it. And let's, you know, let's talk about this. So yeah, it sucks going through it sometimes, but it definitely made me who I am today. Yeah. Which I think is pretty awesome. So yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think it brings, it brings authenticity. It yeah. brings, yeah. you know, it, it, some street cred, you know, it's, you have to experience all of that to be able to say, look, I survived it. This is how I survived it. Here's maybe how I could have handled it better. And, yeah. you know, let's, let's learn. And there's no mistakes, only lessons, right? That's what I <laughs> keep telling myself over and yeah. over and over yeah. again. So I want to talk a little bit or maybe pick your brain a little bit, Josh. Um, if you have maybe a, a definition or an explanation of complaining versus venting and <laughs> when it's, yeah. when it's healthy, when yeah. it's, not or when do yeah. we cross that line when do we when do we get into some self-fulfilling prophecies mm -hmm. of just everything is horrible this profession sucks i hate everything about it sure you know because i've been seeing a lot of that i you know in certain yeah. social media groups and certain things like that it yeah it just oh it, it has me concerned can i add on to that question and Please. who's the best person that you would recommend venting complaining to who, who would I suggest like, so if I'm like, if I'm a technician and I, yeah, I want to, like if you're a technician, would you go yeah. to the doctor? Would you go to the owner? Would you go to sure. a tech? Would you go sure. to, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great question too. So I think, you know, Melissa, I think that, um, I think venting is a normal human response. Um, I think that when, when we do go through challenges, when we feel overwhelmed, which certainly, you know, this past year, we've all been at wit's end. Uh, and so to just kind of vent things out, uh, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I've just experienced. This is how it impacted me. I think that's totally normal. I think that's healthy. Um, venting becomes complaining when needs are unmet, uh, I think. And so when we have unmet needs, especially persistent unmet needs, uh, venting is not sufficient anymore because we're not we're not getting a resolution. There's no closure from it, right? We still, we let this thing out, but it still feels like it's gnawing at our gut, whatever it is. And so as social creatures, we look for some other outlet and, and eventually it turns into rumination and constant complaining. Um, you know, I do think that there are certainly people who are just complainers. They're, you know, they just have a negative outlook on everything and they're kind of a bit of a sourpuss and maybe, you know, uh, contributing to a bit of a toxic environment. I think that those people are more rare than, than we might uh, tend to, uh, to say. I think that 
we collectively, myself included, I've done this as well. You know, and in my past, I've been a hospital owner and practice manager, and I have absolutely labeled people as the complainer. And and thinking back on it, I was labeling way more people as complainers that really were complainers. More often than not, I think that people problems are system problems. And more often than not, those unmet needs are because the system, whatever environment context that people are in, it's just not giving them the avenue to get those needs met. And so I, I think this does absolutely lean back into the positive leadership. You know, a, a positive leader with the approach that I advocate for is going to create in the environment what we call psychological safety. So psychological safety, you can look this up in, in academic literature it, uh, as far back as like the 1960s. I'm try, I don't recall the initial researcher, but it sort of great, gained incredible prominence in the late 90s. Dr. Amy Edmondson, who's now the uh, Novartis Professor of Leadership and Management at Harvard Business School. So she published a paper, and I think it was in 98 or 99, on psychological safety and like nurse teams. And um, it has been like one of the most highly cited papers in uh, organizational psychology ever since. I think something like 19,000 citations. Holy cow. Which, I mean, yeah, right? Like published, <laughs> think about this, like a journal article that's not only been read by that many people, yeah. you know, yeah. more than just my mom and my supervisor read it, but actually cited by that many people. So psychological safety is a team phenomenon that occurs in a work environment, it tends to be highly localized. So it tends to be very much a team experience. And the, the sort of the academic definition of it is, it's a belief within a team that the team environment is safe for interpersonal risks. So think about that. An interpersonal risk might be something like, hey, Dr. Detweiler, you know, the way that you've been running anesthesia lately, I'm not 100% sure that that's the best way we could do it. Can we talk about that? And I'm an RVT, right? That's a huge interpersonal risk Yeah. to go to a doctor and, <laughs> and say that, right? Other forms of interpersonal risks. Ooh, I think I just screwed up that appointment. I didn't check them in right. I forgot to charge them for X. I didn't put whatever in the medical record. That's an interpersonal risk to admit that. Hey, Maria, I know I've worked here for a year, but I have no idea how to schedule a new client. That's an interpersonal risk. I've been here that long. I should, quote unquote, know how to do it. So to admit that, that's like very risky, right? This is an environmental phenomenon. We know that leaders, they don't have all the influence. Everybody on the team plays a role, but the leaders have the most influence over the presence or absence of this phenomena that we call psychological safety. If it's absent, which I can tell you, depending on what research you look at, somewhere between 60 and 75% of teams will say we do not have psychological safety. Yeah. If it's absent, of course, somebody has an issue, a concern, something they're worried about, and they don't feel comfortable sharing it. How are they going to get that out? They're going to get it out by first venting, then ruminating because nothing changes and then turning into a complainer. And then we label them as the complainer, right? So there are people, absolutely, there are people who are complainers and we need to be leery of them and, you know, do what we can to help shift them if we can, but, you know, we can, you can't change another human being. And if they're really not the right fit for our team culture and environment, we need to liberate them from the team culture. <laughs> what I want to stress though, is that the number of those people is much, much smaller than we think. 
And more often than not, it's not a problem, a flaw, uh, a characteristic of the individual. It's the individual in the environment that they're in. And we need to look at the environment and what in the environment is contributing to this and how can we change that? Because that's something we actually have power over. We can't change another human being, but we can absolutely change the context that they're in. Yeah. That's my long-winded yeah. question. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I'm, I'm taking note. My video is turned off at the moment, but you can't see. I have like a, a notepad here and I have scribbles and arrows and things underlined. And, and I will look up a link to that reference that you were um, about the psychological safety. Maybe get a link to that actual study if people are, I know that people like me who I get kind of nerdy sometimes and I like to go look that stuff up. So we'll get that in the show notes for people. I can, I can send it to you. Oh, great. Perfect. Yeah. And I think it's just interesting, you know, you were saying 60 to 70% and I, and I'm thinking, well, shoot, I would think right now it might even be higher than that. It just, we did an episode a while back on just toxic cultures and toxic workplaces. And it was interesting when we were recording that episode, we very easily could come up with all kinds of examples of things that were the quote unquote toxic things that we were dealing, but we joked around, you know, kind of half jokingly that we didn't feel like we really gave too many solutions. (laughs) And, and, and I feel like, okay, now we're, now we're hearing some potential solutions. Now we're getting into the meat of it. And now we're kind of like, all right, now let's, let's do the work. Let's, let's get some of this stuff on the right path. I'm not going to say let's fix it. I mean, it's not that simple, but. So let me ask you a question. So if you, if we have like this toxic environment and we have a lot of complaining and stuff like that, is it easier to fix it from within? And what I mean by like the technicians and the doctors, or is it easier to fix it from above coming down? You know, that's, that's a great question. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to skirt the answer a bit. I'm going to feel a bit like a politician right now Um, (laughs) because I don't, well, I truthfully, I don't think that there is like a singular answer to that question. I think so much of it depends on context. You know, it's interesting. I I think we're, so as a consultant, you know, I I think a lot of folks come to me and they're like, hey, we, you know, we want to create this kind of environment in our hospital. Give us the checklist to do so. But there isn't, there isn't really a checklist per se. There's a framework certainly that I pull from. So I have a, a leadership framework that I've been developing and, and I can pull from that. But, but the actual, application thereof is so much environmental. It's so much about, you know, what, what might need to happen in my family to bring, you know, me and my siblings closer together is going to be completely different potentially than what needs to happen in your family and what needs to happen in your family, Melissa. And so it's the same thing in team environments. It's still human relations. And so it does really vary. I will say that the reason that I focus on leadership in particular is because all of the research shows that the greatest influence on a culture is the leader, however you define that, however they're viewed. And so it's, it, they don't have all the control. They, they certainly don't. I mean, it's still a human system and there are other human beings involved. But the leader has the power in the hierarchy. They have that, they're in the structure, they are the power. And so they also have the power to influence the culture. So when the culture is going awry, in all likelihood, it's something that the leader is is or is not doing well, more so than the people on the team. Not entirely, but more so than. So, So I do tend to lean towards starting with the leadership but you also have to include the team somehow too. And so we do a lot of kind of back and forth and inclusive work as well. Any advice for people who may be in a situation where the 
the the leader or leadership, you know, like our traditional leaders, maybe they're not there yet. Maybe they don't see it. Mm-hmm. Maybe their personality type is one that's going to be harder to get on board. And, yeah. you know, they don't, they may recognize that things aren't going great, but they may be a little oblivious as to the why behind it. Sure. Is there yeah. something that other team members can potentially do? I mean, like you said, you can't change people. I mean, there's probably going to be situations where we are who we are, but anything that if there's enough people within an organization, do you know, is there a chance that they could kind of change the, the culture? Maybe this is what Maria was kind of getting at from within a little right. bit. If yes. the leadership isn't looking to change. Yeah, that's a great question too. And that does happen, you know, for a variety of reasons. Um, I, I want to preface my answer by saying, I really do firmly believe this. Uh, this is definitely my sort of natural optimism coming to light here. <laughs> I, I really, really do believe that the vast majority, perhaps even, you know, approaching 100% of people who work in veterinary medicine are genuinely good people. So I don't think that we have a lot of bad people leading. I think we have good people leading badly. And when you're a good person and you're leading poorly, you know, that can create some cognitive dissonance. And it's not uncommon for people, for any of us to say, well, I would never do something to harm my people. So therefore, I must not be a bad leader. And and that can create blinders. It can be really difficult to have that level of self-awareness that, ooh, I need to change something to help my team change. So, so there's definitely going to be leaders like that that are just, for whatever reason, they're not on board or they're just not even thinking about it. Or in the few rare cases, they just don't care. I said that psychological safety is one example of these kinds of positive team experiences is a local experience. And so the team can create their own sort of sense of psychological safety sans the leader. So for example, you know, you work in a veterinary hospital and you're a, um, you're a credential technician and your practice manager is just really not a great leader, not really big contributor to psychological safety. It seems like every time anybody admits to something, they get lectured, they get dismissed. Um, you know, interpersonal risk is not safe with this person. But the technicians can still come together and create their own sort of sense of culture, teamwork, psychological safety between just the technicians, regardless of the practice manager. Now, is it going to be perfect or as good as it could be if the manager was on board? Maybe not, but it's certainly going to be better than not doing anything. And so there are absolutely things we can do from the bottom up. I would also say that we can't change people, but we can influence people. And, and based on that sort of initial belief that the vast majority of people in our field are genuinely good people, I think a little bit of, you know, authentic vulnerability can go a long way in helping to influence a leader in the right direction. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with approaching a leader and not blaming. I don't want, I definitely do not want to, do not want to advocate for the blame game. <laughs> But, hey, you know, Dr. Detweiler, um, you know, I just, I've noticed that things are a little bit tense here in the team and, and I feel like we could do better at things. And, you know, I think people will really want to take a lead from you. And I've been learning about, or I've heard about X, Y, and Z, you know, psychological safety or positive leadership or whatever it might be. And, you know, what do you think about this? 
how do you think this could help us as a team? You know, approaching from that kind of perspective and sticking with it as best you can, trying to not get too frustrated when you're not getting exactly the response you're looking for. Um, you know, influence can take time and effort, but it can also happen. And so, so I do think it's, it's absolutely worth asking for what we want. Hey, you know, I believe in the potential of this team to really, really kick butt together, but I see some obstacles uh, preventing us from getting there right now. And, you know, you're the leader of the team. I really feel like people look up to you. Uh, can you help, you know, help me create this in the team yeah, or can you help us come together? That kind of thing. That's great. The only thing is they have to bring it up in the right way. Like you said, yeah. just don't blame yeah. the leader for it. Um, but I have a question. When you say that, you know, having the technicians say come together and create that environment, the thing that I question is if they're not pulling all the technicians or they're not pulling the entire group in, it can sometimes yeah. look very clicky. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's a really, really good point. You know, so any, any potentially good thing can turn into a negative <laughs> thing if it's done poorly. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I think that we need to be cognizant of that. I need, I think we need to have some, a little bit of awareness of how we're impacting or potentially impacting the other people on the team. We're not going to be perfect at it. We're going to stumble at it, but that's also part of it too. You know, the whole reason why um, Dr. Edmondson and others study this concept of psychological safety, why it's become so important is because we know that it's an incredibly strong correlator to team performance. The reason being in that when you have very low levels of psychological safety, people do not feel safe taking interpersonal risks. They withhold things. They're not just withholding, I don't know how to do something. They're also withholding, here's a better way to do things. They're also withholding the ability to learn as an individual and collectively as a team. When psychological safety is high, it contributes to a learning environment. And truth be told, as veterinary practitioners, by golly, we've got to be able to learn. Our work <laughs> is so unpredictable. It's so very Variable. It changes day to day. Over the last year, it's changed in like epic ways, right? Yeah. We have to be able to evolve, to react, to respond, to learn and grow in our work. So we've got to have psychological safety present. Uh, going back to what you were saying about how, you know, finding ways to do that collectively, we absolutely want to include people. But part of the learning process is learning what doesn't work as well. And so trying to be open to I may not get this perfect now, but I'm going to try and I'm going to look for ways that it can be better. I'm going to look for those learning opportunities. So shifting your mindset a little bit from this isn't working, this is screwed up to this isn't working as well as it could. How can it be better? You know, and, and I think that can help us not get into the click mode too much. Um, <laughs> You know, Melissa, earlier you were talking about like tangible, actionable things. I actually, I teach on psychological safety for veterinary teams. And I do uh, two versions of kind of the same lecture or workshop. Right. One of them is very much geared towards the leader. So if I'm talking to a group of hospital owners, medical directors, practice managers, you know, so on and so forth, I'm going to give them kind of the background and the concept and how as a leader, we can best enable this in the environment. The other one is for teams. I'm talking to everybody in the hospital. Hey guys, guess what? You all play a role in this and there are things that you can do. One like super, super, super simple way that you can do this. So you can get together as a team and say, guys, we've got to improve our psychological safety. How are we going to do it? 
right? That's the absolutely one way you can do that. One thing that I advocate for, I know it sounds crazy, but yeah. you can. And, and one way that I think you can do that as a whole team is create what we call a safe conversation charter. All right, guys, we need to be able to have these uncomfortable kind of awkward conversations. We need to be able to talk about when we mess something up so that we can all learn together so that that mess up only happens once. We need to talk about when we don't know how to do things, what shortcomings we have, how we can get better so that together we can actually get better. But those are really hard conversations to have. So we're going to come up with a list of agreements, three, five, six, seven, not a ton, but just kind of the basic agreements that we need to have in place to, you know, maximize the ability for us to have these conversations. We're going to write them down. We're all going to agree to them and we're all going to hold each other to them. Things like, you know, when we're having a conversation and it's anything of, you know, any import, there's a no interruption rule. When I'm talking, you don't talk. I'm done, then you talk. So we never interrupt each other. Even when things are heated, we never interrupt each other. That's one potential rule. But, there, you know, whatever works right. for your team, you can come up with a list of rules. So that's one way you can do it collectively. But like Maria suggested, sometimes, you know, people feel left out. It can be really difficult to get into really making that environment in truly inclusive for the whole team. So as an individual, there are things you can do to elevate your experience of psychological safety in your team. For example, start getting in the habit of asking for feedback, like a lot, like way more than you normally do. Like so much that you start to think, I am asking way too much. Ask for feedback on everything. Hey, Maria, the way that I answered that question, do you feel like it really addressed what you were looking for? That's asking for feedback. Hey, Dr. Detweiler, you know, yesterday you were, you were helping me, uh, you were holding off the vein on that Great Dane when I placed that IV catheter. The way that I taped it, do you think that was a good way to tape it? Hey, Dr. Detweiler, the last time we were in surgery together and, you know, the way that I was kind of handling anesthesia uh, along with my, you know, surgical assisting duties, do you think I could do better? How could I be better? That's asking for feedback. Do that a lot. Like find a way to do that three, four, five, six times every day. The cool thing about that is that when you do that, you're not going announcing to the world, guys, I'm improving psychological safety in the team. You just start asking for (laughs) feedback. When you do that, guess what? You're going to learn things. You're going to get better. You're going to improve in your work. And you're opening up the door for others to do the same. If I start asking everybody on the team for feedback routinely, they will start asking me for feedback as well. Before long, you're contributing to a feedback culture. A feedback culture is exactly what a team's of psychological safety looks like. So, so there are ways that we can do this. So what you're saying is that it's better to ask for feedback on yourself rather than point out everybody else's flaws and how they're doing it wrong. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm learning. I'm getting it figured out. <laughs> so let well me done. ask you a question. So say yeah. you're a leader in the hospital and you're going about asking for these feedback, this feedback. So when I was a technician, I was terrified to give my feedback to a doctor. Sure. Even if they asked. Sure. But they didn't really back then. But yeah. if they did, I'm, yeah, great, yeah. awesome. Yeah. How do you get them comfortable with giving you that feedback, especially if you're like a new grad yeah. or if you're newer in the leadership role? Yeah. How do you get them comfortable giving it to you? Yeah, so I think there's, I think there's several ways to do that. That's an excellent question, by the way, because that absolutely will happen. 
You know, these things that I talk about often, they can feel very compelling, maybe even a bit inspired. And so we think, man, I can do this in my team and it's going to be great. And, and yeah, it will be. If we can build these things into our team as leaders or as team members, magic happens, like truly magic happens. But it's not a flip of a switch. It's not, you know, you don't go from there's no psychological safety to boom, everybody trusts everybody implicitly. Like th this takes time. It takes intention. It takes consistency. It takes a bit of vulnerability and it takes modeling. So as a leader, I think we can do all of those things. First of all, start with intention. I want to do this. This is important to me. This is why it's important to me as a leader. It's important to me. It's important to the outcomes from our team. It's important to me for our team members to have this kind of environment, whatever, but be clear about what you want to do and why it's important to you. Start with that intention, then stick to it consistently. This is not a try it once, it didn't work, give up kind of thing. This is a try it once, it didn't work, try it again, it didn't work, try it again, it didn't work over and over and over and over again until it works because it will. I'll tell you a story about that here in a second. Um, vulnerability means that you also have to be willing to hear it. And that kind of relates to the modeling thing. So don't just ask for feedback or give feedback to one person. Do it consistently throughout the team and make sure that the team sees and hears that and you're genuine about it. You're really authentic about it. And that when somebody finally does have the courage to give you a little bit of critical feedback, take it gracefully. Look at it like a gift. I really love the gift analogy, by the way, for feedback, and I'll tell you why. First of all, who doesn't like to get a gift? I mean, it's awesome when people give us a gift. So if you can truly train yourself to view critical feedback as a gift, you can start to actually get a little excited about it. But there's another cool thing about gifts. We've all been given gifts that eh, they don't really work for us. We take them gracefully, right? You give me a gift. I say, thank you so much. This is so thoughtful. Wow. What a cool thing. I really appreciate that. Then I take it back and I consider it for a bit. I look at it. I think about, is this something I'm actually going to use? Does it fit with my lifestyle? Do I want this in my home? You know what? I've thought about it. I've considered it. It's not really the right gift for me. I'm going to return it. I'm going to exchange it. I'm going to re-gift it to somebody else. That's the nice thing about a gift. Every critical feedback, you don't have to act on necessarily, but you should accept it gracefully like you would accept any gift. The story I wanted to tell you about the consistency part. Um, I read this story recently. I don't recall what book I read it in, uh, but it was a, a, a leader. He had just been promoted to a pretty high uh, management level in his organization. And he had a team of, I don't know, eight or nine people. And this concept of positive leadership and especially psychological safety was very important to him. And so he created this Friday um, policy that at every Friday you had to share with him, hey, what went well this week? What are you proud of that you achieved this week? What did not go so well? What do you need from me? And every employee had to answer that. And they all did, except one person Every single Friday, she wrote, everything's fine. I don't need a thing. Everything's fine. I don't need a thing. After like a month or two of this, he went and he talked to her about it. And, and he was like, listen, it's seriously, like, I really want to hear what can I do better? How can I help you? What support do you need? Where are you struggling? Oh, no, 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 really. Everything's fine. Okay. Well, just so you know, it's totally fine to share those things with me. This went on for months, months. Finally, after six months, 
she asked him for a pencil sharpener. You know, I could really use a new pencil sharpener. And he was ecstatic. Like she asked for something (laughs) and he went and thanked her, you know, the whole bit. Several months later, after this like process of just, oh no, everything's fine. Finally, a certain level of comfort, you know, vulnerability, trust. And she opened up to him, you know, in the previous job that she did, anything that you said you needed help with was a sign that you were not good enough for your work and your job was, uh, was, was potentially threatened because of it. And she had just grown accustomed to, you do not share any shortcomings with your boss because you might lose your job over it. It took months and months for him to really prove to her that, no, seriously, you can share these things because I'm committed to you working towards your potential, really unleashing the maximum parts of what you can be here. And you stumbling along the way is going to be a normal part of the journey. It took that long. So to answer your question, finally, Marie, (laughs) I think that that's what a leader needs to do. I think that a leader needs to approach this with, this is not going to change overnight. I need to be intentional about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And then I have to be consistent, like truly consistent and be committed to doing it for as long as it takes. And I need to be vulnerable and model what I'm trying to share with the team or trying to build into the team. And if you can do that, you'll get there. So now I have a question for you. So I have had an experience where my leader, you would say, I asked every time I spoke, what am I doing right? What do I need to work on? That's it. And what do you need from me? That's it. You know what I mean? And every single time they're going, you're doing great. It's wonderful. Everything's going well. Good job for two years. (laughs) <laughs> two years and I'm like and I know I'm not perfect yeah I know I can work on things and it took like me going to other people like asking like what do I because I I want to grow and then after two years I got the lovely yearly review stating that I got flustered <laughs> and I was like I just looked at them and I was like well then you one for two years, you've told me the same thing. And two, then I thought that I could vent to you about things. Yeah. And here you're using it against me. Yeah. So how do you, when we're looking at a positive leadership and when you're in that associate role and you come and your leader comes down on you like that, how do you influence it to make them realize what they're doing? Yeah, yeah. That's, first of all, that's awful. I'm so sorry that you were in that situation. I'm no longer there, so. <laughs> There's your can, answer. Yeah, good, good. I can yeah. imagine like sitting in that review, how blindsided you must have felt. I was extremely blindsided and I was like, what are you talking about? Seriously. Like, For two years, I mean, and you know what, if I did, you had two years to tell me. Yeah. By the way, um, for anybody who might be listening, uh, uh, <laughs> Telling somebody that they get flustered is not a performance <laughs> review. That is a character judgment. Duly Those are noted. Two very different things. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and you said that. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, who doesn't who doesn't get flustered from time to time? Like, like exactly. What is that? Inven- I'm sorry, but in veterinary medicine, right. if you didn't once in a while, there's something <laughs> wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think one thing that's really important is that um, even though a leader has a perceived, uh, you know, influence of power over us, we all have permission to express our needs. 
we really do. I mean, going back to the talk about complaining, right? When needs are unmet, we find a way to express that unproductively often when we don't feel like we have the power or the safety to do so. So I, I just want to encourage everybody that you have permission to express your needs. You know, I've been coming to you for two years and asking you genuinely how I can be a better member of this team. I need you as my leader to help me get there so that I don't get to this point of being blindsided in an annual review. You know, that's okay to ask for, first of all. I also recognize that for for a lot of us, that's really, really difficult and really uncomfortable. And so, you know, I'm, if you can't ask for what you need from somebody, if it's really that difficult, that hard, uh, then I think you also have permission to do what you did, which is find a better fit. You know, I, I don't think anybody needs to feel stuck in a situation that depletes them and does not contribute to their thriving, especially in this field. You know, one of the things that frustrates me the most the work that we do in veterinary medicine is imbued with so much deep purpose and meaning. And we do not get to experience that on a day-to-day -day basis because we get so caught up in the bullshit of trying to get through every day and these you know, horrible environments that we're often in and the stresses of our work and now compounded by you know, the stresses of the world these days. And I don't think that's right. I think, you know, I, I really do believe that every veterinary professional deserves to be fulfilled in their work every day. And if a leader is not going to help enable that for you, you know, I think you deserve to find a leader who will. Wow. That's so, so important to hear. I just, I feel like I, I'm just like writing down all these. I'm like, I need to ask this. I need to ask that. And then it, poor Josh, he's like, girls, I want to go to bed. <laughs> but, but I, you know, but I, I think talk to you all night. I, this is crazy. No, well, and you know, one thing I think it's be fair to point out is that, his company, you know, Flourish Veterinary Consulting, has these tools and these workshops that you, you've kind of referenced them a little bit, that if there are people listening who feel like their team can benefit from this, they can benefit from this, please, please visit flourishveterinaryconsulting.com. You know, there's a lot there. And, you know, I was scrolling through the other day and just kind of clicking on stuff. And there's, you know, there's some take-homes that are on there. There's a fun little quiz you can take on your positive leadership style. And I think we need as a profession to be exploring this more. You know, we, we need to take some action. We need to be better advocates for ourselves, for our teams. And gosh, just so much we could talk about. And I'm so grateful, Josh, for you to have these conversations with us. What we'll do is we'll put the website in the show notes and then we'll also send it out in the email. So it's a little bit easier for people to find everything. Yeah. So sorry if you get an like, onslaught of people like, you need to come talk to us. <laughs> you need to talk to my boss. <laughs> Bring them on. Bring them on. Bring them on. Yeah. on. Uh, so. Is there anything, Josh, you feel like that you would like to say that we haven't touched on yet? Anything that, sure. that you feel like, you know, not to cut you off, because like I said, no. we could talk for hours on this, but I mean, we want to be respectful of your time as well. And um, I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I want to leave with a closing message for, I think that it's, it's important that anybody who's listening in our field, in our profession hears. Um, I've been trying to share it as much as I possibly can. Uh, you know, we've been throwing around this word unprecedented uh, over these, this last year. Uh, it, it's become, you know, quite cliche and for some of us even maybe a bit nauseating, but there's a reason for using that word because this really is not normal times that we're in. 
um, the experiences that we've had to, you know, endure these, this past year is just uh, above and beyond anything that we've had to uh, cope with in the past. And nobody gave us an instruction manual. So, um, you know, I just want to encourage everybody just to embrace that uh, in, in abnormal times, you do not need to hold yourself to normal standards. You really, truly do not. Uh, and I hope that you can extend some of that grace to the people around you as well, not to hold each other to our normal standards either, because <laughs> it is virtually impossible for all of us to uh, be our best selves all the time when we are enduring the kind of stresses that we're enduring now. So um, please know that you're not alone in whatever you're experiencing and, uh, and feel free to give yourself a bit of grace and self-compassion. Oh, thank you. Thank you, you so much you. for that. And I feel like I need to remind myself that, that probably goes for our clients as well. That they, yes. <laughs> you know, they they're yes. experiencing a lot of trauma, and, yeah. and and maybe they don't all mean to be <laughs> as cranky as they are. For sure. But um, well, thank you so much. I I feel like we're going to hopefully get a lot of feedback on, on this and I feel like I need to share it. I want to share this episode with people that I know, not even in the veterinary profession. I have, you know, people in my life that I feel like they're in leadership roles and these are universal messages. You know, it's not just unique to, yeah. to what we do and such, such great information. Well, let's move on. Let's get our, our wins, our fails and our hacks. And we'll, so generally what we do is we, we like to end on a good note. So we end with the win typically. Maria, why don't we start with awesome. the hack? We'll start with the hack first. Why don't you share us uh, share with us your, your hack for tonight? Okay. So I will admit I haven't tried this hack yet. I just saw it on TikTok today. Um, I, I found, I, I'll be honest with you, I found this one account that has these amazing recipes and like uh, tips for cooking. So, you know, when you're want to like fry chicken or something like that, and you're cooking the oil, but you don't know if it's hot enough yet. And like, normally I used to take a splash of breadcrumbs and like sprinkle it in, but then you always risk, I always get oil stains on my shirt from doing stuff like that. And I'm just like, so I, when I do, when I cook like that, I have to wear like a awful shirt. If you take the wooden spoon, and you put it in the oil, if it bubbles, it's hot enough to cook. If it hmm. doesn't bubble, it, it's not hot enough yet. Interesting. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Oh, I'm totally using that. Yeah, right? I try that. So I didn't get a chance to use it because I just saw it. <laughs> but next time I cook, I am totally <laughs> using it because I am blown away by this. And they showed it, like they put this, the, the spoon in and yeah. it was fine. And then they put it in again and it was bubbling. And they're like, it's hot enough to cook now. That's awesome. Awesome. Right? Yeah, I didn't know that. I'm totally wooden, using that. Wooden spoon for oil temperature. Okay. Right. That's what I'm like. This is amazing. I'm literally writing it down right now on my notepad. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, Josh, why don't you share with us a fail that you've experienced recently? Sure. Or maybe not so, so recently. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's, I mean, it's a fairly recent one. Um, so uh, my, my wife and I, when we uh, just after we got married, we adopted a, um, a Great Dane Lily. Uh, so this was in 2009. And, um, and we lost her, unfortunately, this past um, Thanksgiving. Well, just before Thanksgiving. She was 14, though. So oh, that's wow. pretty darn good wow. for a Great Dane. Yeah, that's very good. 
So, you know, we have a cat and we have birds and we have fish tanks and we keep bees. So then there's plenty of critters around the house, but something about the dog not being here just felt really empty. And so we thought, we thought, you know, we need to get another dog, but I'll tell you end of life for, you know, 9,500 pound dog that's sort of lost function of the hind end of her body is really, really brutal. So we thought, man, we should probably get something smaller this time. You know, something potentially we could actually carry on our own uh, <laughs> if it gets to that again. So uh, we started looking around online and we found a rescue in Northern Colorado that uh, gets puppies from like, um, you know, high kill rate shelters mm -hmm. and brings them up here to all the suckers in Colorado. <laughs> and so we thought, okay, we'll adopt a puppy. You know, we've never really had a puppy. Either of us have never had a puppy. We've always like gotten adult dogs and, and Lily, we got when she was three. So mm -hmm. thought, oh, we'll do the puppy exp experience. And then the very next day they posted like new, updates of pictures and and there was this other puppy that was also really cute and so we we're like well maybe maybe we should like go meet both of them but you know in covid and stuff you have to arrange the meetings and this and that and the rescue said well you have to pay uh, a deposit and we're only adopting out you know one we're not we're not allowing people to come visit multiple dogs unless they're adopting both of them so my wife and i are like well we'll just pay the deposit for both and then we can go and meet them both and pick one. Right. Because obviously you're going to go sit in a room with two puppies and just pick one. <laughs> so we brought home two puppies that day. Oh my God. Which I want to tell the whole world is a very bad idea. Wait, can you repeat that? <laughs> two puppies at the same time is terrible. It is an absolute life fail. <laughs> they are adorable and they're so friggin' cute and they love each other and they play and, you know, cuddling with a pile of puppies is always fun. They're insane and it's impossible <laughs> to train. Like it's hard to train one puppy, but two puppies <laughs> together is like, I mean, it's just so the last five weeks of my life has just been utter insanity. And Marie, I, can, I, I can't relate to three years of no sleep, but I can relate to a month and a half of no sleep. <laughs> it's awful. Oh, yeah, so, so that's my fail. Oh. So it's funny because I was talking to, my sister just got a puppy and she calls me last night. She goes, he's so cute. I'm just going to go adopt another puppy now. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> no. please don't let's stop with yeah. one <laughs> oh goodness i never even considered training two puppies at once like that oh. wow i'm just running through that scenario in my head and i'm just yeah the add that must be apparent there <laughs> like <laughs> i the other um the other day friday actually so i had a um a client visit a virtual meeting with the leadership team uh, at this practice um hour and a half and it uh, a, a chunk of it was group coaching. And so I'm, you know, I'm actually doing what, this coaching, intensive coaching. I can't, I can't step away from it. Well, I made the mistake. I had the puppies in the kennel and then I had them in the backyard running around and this and that. And I thought, well, you know, they'll, they're quiet now. I, I feel bad keeping them in the kennel all day. I'll just leave them out. <laughs> just picture whatever you're picturing. And it, it, that's what happened. <laughs> and I'm stuck at this computer, like listening to and sort of seeing out of the corner of my eye, all the insanity and all the things that I'm going to have to clean and the remote getting eaten. And like, <laughs> yeah. So bad. It's like, they know. Yeah. Oh, 
you're incapacitated. Yeah. Kids are the same way too. It's, it's no different that they wait until you can't possibly do anything about it. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, well maybe in a few years you'll, you'll be, you'll turn into a win. Yeah. Question. Are they small dogs? Um, small ish. So, uh, the older one, Addie, she's about seven months and she's probably like 32, 33 pounds right now. So I don't think she's going to be very big. Um, the little guy Rue in his picture was tiny and they said, you know, the, the rescue was like small to medium sized dog, but they don't know. No. We got him. He was 16 pounds when we got him five weeks ago. He's, uh, he's just as big as Addy now. He's oh, no. in the thirties. Yeah. He's going to be a bigger dog than we anticipated, <laughs> but he's also like the cutest thing on the planet. Oh, that's so great. he's got that going for him. That's good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's definitely, um, a fail that I think we can all relate to in some <laughs> fashion. <laughs> I'm sorry. (laughs) What about our wins? So I have two kind of short wins. One, I think is it's kind of pertinent to some of what we've been talking about tonight. So we just had our quote unquote clinic Christmas party this past weekend. We, we have never tried to do anything in the month of December. We're not a big practice. I mean, we're talking about even with spouses, it's a group of 12. It's a pretty manageable number, but it's just impossible to find a day in December that, you know, we can get together. And then you've got all the COVID restrictions and all that kind of stuff. Um, We were fortunate that we could actually go out into the world and we could, we can do things where we live. Um, And so we, it was so much fun. We went ax throwing this on Saturday, yesterday. So my win is that I did not get injured, nor did I injure anybody else with ax throwing. <laughs> oh, Melissa. That's a win. Was it fun? Wait, it was, was it fun? It was so I, much fun. It was a blast. And they're popping up everywhere. There's not, I don't think there's like a medium sized town in this country that doesn't have ax throwing. And what's really terrifying is that most of them serve beer or alcohol at the same time. <laughs> That's what yeah. scares me that like I would go and like someone would throw the ax backwards at me. Well, because right. you have to sign a waiver. And I will tell you, there really wasn't much in the way of, I mean, yeah, there was like a cage around the the lane, I guess you call it. So you know, you couldn't throw the ax anywhere as long as you were for- throwing it forward. Like, yeah. But you know, like people were swinging axes around and they're drinking beer. And you're like, oh, my oh my gosh. But it was so much fun. It was, I mean, team building. It was, it was fun. We had such a great time. So that was the win is that nobody, nobody got hurt. We nobody had a great hurt. time. Yeah. So my other little short win, um, I think I texted you and Anne about this here, maybe a couple of weeks ago, for whatever reason, we've had um, headstand challenges in our family over the Christmas break. The win is that I was able to successfully do a headstand for a minute and 25 yeah. seconds. Wow. <laughs> I still well, wow. I, I don't know. Pass out. Yeah. Well, that was the, yeah, I, I finally, wait, wait, my, how long it was a minute and minute and 25 seconds. Although don't be too impressed. Cause my husband did it for six minutes. Oh my goodness. I know. Oh, I don't know. He's just, it's annoying. He that was he cheating. Likes- <laughs> he was cheating. It's because yeah. Melissa, it's because he requires minimal blood flow to his brain. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Shit. Oh, Josh, you've just earned your sticker. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is. There it is. <laughs> oh 
Oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah. And no, there are no pictures or videos of me doing the headstand. So, well, I think that is probably as good of a place as any to officially kind of get wrapped up again, Josh, thank you so, so much for being on. Um, we will get this out just as soon as we can. Sometimes we're a little slow in the editing process, but no worries. <laughs> it might be Sorry. Easter before it's out. Sorry. <laughs> no. Um, but again, thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you are getting a great start these first, you know, couple weeks of the new year and God, it couldn't get any worse than 2020. Right. So don't we're gonna, jinx it, Melissa. Yeah, well, true. But we talked <laughs> about, we, but Hey, no, remember oh, we talked yeah. about Sorry. It it sucks, but we're growing. So we are. There you go. We've got lots of room to grow. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Josh and thank Maria and Anne. We missed you, but we know that you're you're doing great and taking care of your kiddos and, and that's what we all need to be doing sometimes. So all right. Thank you, Josh. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank right. you. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the DVM Divas podcast. Want to know more about us? Then visit our website at dvmdivas.com or find us on all of our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, and even LinkedIn. Just look for at dvmdivas. We can also be reached by email at admin at dvmdivas.com. Don't want to miss an episode? Be sure to subscribe. And while you're at it, rate, review, and share. Your online love really does help. And tune in next week as we once again go beyond the stethoscope.